new study today. We're going to study the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes is, is a fun book to study. If, uh, have you ever in your life been disappointed, discouraged? Well, then Ecclesiastes is for you. And I think, honestly, disappointment and discouragement, that, that's a, a universal human emotion that we've all felt. And, and Ecclesiastes is a lot about disappointment and discouragement. He writes a lot about those things. And so let's talk a little about the, the, the author of, of Ecclesiastes is generally considered to be Solomon, the David's son, the king of Israel. Now, I say generally considered because it doesn't actually sign this. He doesn't say, you know, love Simon at the end of this. But, or love Solomon, rather, at the end of this. But there's a lot of internal evidence that says he calls himself the king of, of Israel. He calls himself David's son. And so this is very likely Solomon, the wisest king. Now, he was known as the wisest king. But he's also known to have 700 wives and concubines. So I question his wisdom, frankly. But he was definitely the most wealthy king. What, what Solomon did, David, his father, had conquered all of this ground, all of this land. Solomon solidified it. He made Israel into a nation, and he, and he opened trade routes, and he, he built gates and walls. And, and so he made Israel into Israel, the nation, made it prosperous, made it wealthy. And he was greatly wealthy himself. He had chariots, and he had horses, and he had, and, and, and I suppose he has, with 700 wives and concubines, you realize mathematically he probably had an anniversary every day of the year. <laughs> At least one, maybe two. So he had to be rich. So, but Solomon was known throughout the world. We see in other, other places in scripture that, that kings and, and queens come from all over the world to, to learn from Solomon. He was known as this great wise king. And, and so when he writes this, this is a, essentially a, collecting, a collection of wisdom sayings, things that Solomon says give us wisdom, like Proverbs. Proverbs, many, many of the Proverbs are written by Solomon for that same reason. They're wisdom sayings collected and, and, and to show us, to give us wisdom. Now, there is a key to understanding Ecclesiastes, though, and that is you have to understand irony and sarcasm. Irony and sarcasm. Because, honestly, when he begins, he says, vanity of vanities, all things are vanity. That's kind of a discouraging way to start. <laughs> So he really is, we have to understand that, that most of Ecclesiastes is written in irony and sarcasm. It's written about life apart from God. What, what, what Solomon does in Ecclesiastes is he gives us two life patterns. One, apart from God, and the other, within the purpose of God. And we see him contrast that con consistently. So... Solomon, if you're familiar with Ecclesiastes, Sol Solomon goes, uh, he tries everything. He tries everything, 
And this is where he ends up. It's, it was our memory verse uh, this week, and it's at the end of Ecclesiastes. He says, the end of the matter is this, when all things have been heard, fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. So Ecclesiastes, in, in Ecclesiastes, Solomon gives us the two paths, the one apart from the purpose of God and one within the purpose of God. So we get a, a fairly bleak outlook except for within the purpose of God. So let's read. We're going to read Ecclesiastes chapter 1, the first 11 verses. And it will be up here behind me. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises, the sun goes down, and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north, around and around goes the wind on its circuits, the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which it is said, see, this is new, it has already been in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there, will there be any re remembrance of later things, yet to be among those who come after. So he begins by calling himself the preacher. And, and the, word, the, the Hebrew word can be preacher or teacher. The, 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 Hebrew, uh, the Hebrew word really doesn't see a difference between a preacher and a teacher. So it, it, he calls himself the preacher or the teacher in the very beginning. And the first thing he has to say is vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Now, I want to define the word vanity for you, and I actually gave you a picture of it. A vanity, the, this word means vapor. It means uh, the, the breath of, uh, one breath out. It means that, that wisp of smoke when a candle is put out. That's, that's vanity or absolute futility, as, as some English uh, Bibles translated. Absolute futility. It is, it is something with no substance and no meaning. This word is, is translated as vapor in Proverbs. It's translated as breath in, in Isaiah and in Psalms. So it, it literally is something, again, with no substance, no meaning. It is a wisp of smoke a vapor, something that passes away that fast and has no meaning whatsoever. So the, so the preacher's telling us of, a, of the futility of life. Now, how can life be this futile? It's this futile if this is all there is. It's this futile, it's, it's a vapor, a, a, a puff of smoke, if this life is all there is for us. 
If there isn't anything beyond this life, then this life has no meaning whatsoever. It is meaningless and quick with no substance. That's, that's what he's giving us. And, and this is, this is countercultural. It was in his time, and he wrote 3,000 years ago. It was countercultural then. It's even more so now, I think, because what does our society say? Our society says it's all about getting, getting yours, right? I'm going to get mine. I'm going to get it because the guy at the end, the guy that dies with the most toys wins. That's our society. And, and Solomon says, that's a vapor. That's vanity. That's a puff of smoke. That doesn't mean anything. So he, he describes to us here that we struggle and we strive for all this stuff, and it doesn't mean a thing. We strive and struggle for the next ladder on the, uh, or next rung on the corporate ladder, or the next position. We, we do all of this striving and struggling for stuff that will not last. All of that struggle is a vapor. It's vanity. It's a wisp of smoke. Now, there are a couple of interesting parts to this. I, I, I'll just point out as we go. First of all, he talks about the circuits of the winds here. He talks about, uh, he calls it the circuits of the winds. If you watch your, uh, your news, your evening news, when you see the weather, they talk about the jet stream. That's the circuits of the winds. So Solomon actually gives us some scientific knowledge here. 3,000 years ago, it was Solomon understood that the wind went on this jet stream, this circuit. He also gives a pretty good description of, of the, the water cycle, how streams flow into the ocean. ocean th the ocean then brings rain, which fills the streams, which refill the ocean, he gives us this, this water vapor, water cycle pretty accurately. Not that I'm saying that Solomon writes a, a scientific textbook, or he's not writing a book about weather. But it's interesting when you see something 3,000 years ago that, it, that describes what we know today through science. And that's a couple of those things. But what intrigues me is the last few verses, verses 8 through 10. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be. What has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which is said, see, this is new, it has already in the ages it has been already in the ages before us. It's a sad state of affairs, but it's absolute truth. Our eyes are never satisfied. Never. It doesn't matter how beautiful something is that when you look at it, it's not like you've seen everything and you're done. You keep your eyes open. You keep seeing. You keep looking for more. We keep our eyes open and keep seeing more and more and more, and our eyes are never satisfied. He also says that our ears are never filled. Now, we, we, you may really enjoy peace and quiet. I do. But there is a point at which we want to hear something. Now, I'm, I love music, for instance, and I'm really eclectic with music. I listen to a lot of different genres of music. One genre of music would never be enough for me. I need all of them 
so that I can listen to all of these different things. So my ear is never full in that sense. And you may be thinking, well, that's not, that doesn't describe me. That's not how I am. So let me, let me propose this. The five songs we sang today, we're going to sing every week, week after week, for months. You're going to complain. <laughs> You're going to complain. Because your ear is never full. Your ear is never full. We need something new. We need something. We need to see new, new things. We need to hear new things. Solomon accurately describes how we live, even today. But is it even possible that there is nothing new under the sun? We certainly have found new ways to commit old sins. There's no question about that. But is it, is it really true that there's nothing new under the sun. I want to tell you a story about train tracks. Train tracks. We have, we have the space shuttle today. We, we launch ourselves into space today. Now the space shuttle has two rocket boosters on it. Those rocket boosters are made by a company in northern Utah called Morton Thiokol. Morton Thiokol, the engineers there, had to discover how much thrust these rocket boosters needed to get the, the space shuttle into space. But they also had to consider that they're making these things in northern Utah and the, the space shuttle doesn't launch from there. It launches from Texas or Florida. So they have to make this, these, these rocket launchers where they can get to Texas or Florida. So they decide that they're going to make them so that they fit on a train, a railroad train. Now, to make them fit, they had to make sure that these, these rocket booster, boosters would ride on a train track, would go through train tunnels, would go over train bridges, they would go everywhere a train goes. So it had to be, they had to get the size of the rocket boosters that are shoving the, the, the space shuttle into space was decided by the size that it could fit on a train. Now, <clears throat> you may know this, but train tracks are the same size all across the country. And it's four feet, eight and a half inches. Seems like a really strange measurement, doesn't it? Four feet, eight and a half inches. But that, that was, they are four feet, eight and a half inches because they were based upon what the covered wagons and, and horse-drawn carts were. They had a, a, a track width of four feet, eight and a half inches. Why is that? Because the jigs that made the axles for both the trains and the, the wagon cars, uh, or wagons and, and chariots, came from Europe. Those jigs that make those axles were a standard size in Europe, four feet, eight and a half inches. So all of the, the carts, all of the horse-drawn carts and wagons in Europe were four feet, eight and a half inches in track width. Well, where did that come from? Well, we can actually go back and see that the Roman road system that, that Rome built at the time of Paul was built specifically so that two chariots could pass in opposite directions on the road. So that road, by its measurements, those track widths in the chariots were four feet, eight and a half inches. So we, these horse-drawn chariots, these horse-drawn carts have been 
on this track with a four feet, eight and a half inches going back beyond the Roman rule, back beyond the time of Rome, possibly as far back as Solomon, because Solomon had a bunch of chariots in his army. So when you think that there's nothing new under the sun that can't be true, the size of the rocket boosters on the space shuttle are deci were decided by the size of the Roman chariots and Solomon's chariots. There truly is nothing new under the sun. Telephones, they have just taken the shouting out of long-distance conversation. Email and text, they've just taken the paper out of messaging. The Internet has just made the scrolls and the encyclopedias easier and faster to search. We have figured out lots of ways to do the same old things faster. But there really is nothing new under the sun. Everything is the same. Solomon was right. So if, thi if this life is just vanity, a vapor, then what's the point? What's the point of life then? He tells us at the end of this, he tells us the point of life is fear God and keep his commandments, for that is the whole duty of man. The point of life is to find God. The point of life is to live the purpose of God. In this world of vanity, we live the purpose of God. Or you live a life of vanity. It's one of those two. He doesn't give us another choice. We live the purpose of God because that is, he says, the whole duty of man, everything that we're about, the reason we're here is to find God and live his purpose. That's what Solomon is telling us. And he gives us what life looks like apart from God. That he, he talks about the, really the, the absolute futility of human effort here. He, he compares the eye that is never satisfied, the ear that is never full. He talks about the streams that, that run to the ocean but never fill the ocean. That is our lives apart from the purpose of God. You see how he gives us this choice. He gives us a choice between a life lived for what's now that won't last, that will not, will not matter, that has no meaning, or a life in the purpose of God. We have the eternal purpose given to us by Christ. You and I, we are part of God's plan. We are part of, the, of what God is doing in this world because of Christ. And if we're not, then we're living a life of vanity, a vapor, a wisp of smoke will become what our life is. The Westminster Catechism says the chief end of man is to know God and enjoy him forever. That's what the preacher's telling us. He gives us the choice. In this life, we have this choice. Live a life of meaning and purpose given by God in Christ. Or live a life of vanity, vapor, a wisp of smoke. What life are you living? I'm going to ask that you bow your heads. What is your life 
based upon? Is your life based upon the purpose and meaning of God? Based upon Christ? Because it can be. It can be this morning. In a simple prayer. It simply says, God, I know I have sin in my life. I've said things wrong. I've done things wrong. I've thought things wrong. And I know the Bible calls that sin. But I trust that Jesus came and died in my place on that cross. He came to give me life and to give me a life of purpose and meaning. So I ask you to forgive me for my sin because of Jesus' finished work on the cross. And I ask you to come into my life and infuse my life with this purpose and meaning. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, you need to let somebody know. Come and let me know. Elbow your neighbor and let them know. Maybe, the, maybe this morning you know Christ, but you, you, as you look back at your last couple of weeks or last couple of months, it's really been about chasing a vapor. Will you commit this year to, be, to, to following the, the, the purpose and meaning of God? Father, we thank you for this, your word. We thank you that, that we can see life apart from you and life with you in these verses. Keep us mindful of a life apart from you being vanity, a vapor, and a life with you of purpose and meaning. Remind us every day. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.